Well, I'm ready to get in the Word today. If you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to John chapter 1 today. John chapter 1. As we start our new series, we're calling this Jesus One and Only. And let me just remind you as you leave today, you can pick up one of these little cards, and these are invite cards to invite other people to come with you as we walk through the series together, which really is about Jesus as he compares to all other world religions. And we're going to be looking at Islam, uh, Hinduism. We'll look at several of the Christian-type cults and uh, so forth over these next few weeks and help equip you for the people around you because we are surrounded by all kinds of religious backgrounds and in some cases religious confusion and we need to know why we believe what we believe. But before I get into that message today, let me just share with you some things. Uh, You may have picked up one of these cards and as you uh, read over this card, keep in mind that this next, what's next at Cross City is all about uh, our strategy for the future, including a building. How do we grow? How do we reach people? How will we continue to do that? Not only through our satellite, but to an increasing number of people that are moving from around the world. Dallas-Fort Worth will increase by one million people over the next year. Now think about that, another million people moving in in the next year. That's a statistic I read recently. That's an amazing number of people coming from all over the world. What an important thing it is for us to be able to reach them for Christ. Pray for the building team and the uh, Euless Campus team is what we call it, and also the uh, team that involves our budget and finance as well as our senior team. Pray for them because as they, along with our congregation, walk ahead in these days ahead, we need to know the mind of the Lord. I ask you to pray three prayers that all of us are familiar with, and we call those in times past the prayers of the miracle, the miracle prayer. Number one, God is this of you. We do not want to move forward with a plan without knowing it's the will of God. God is this of you. Number two, God, what's my part? That's something that all of us have, a part to play in the ministry of the church and serving and in moving forward. What's my part? Number three, God, will you bless your people as we move forward? Will you bless us so that we can do what we believe your will is? And I want you to join me in praying about fulfilling our mission, leading all people to Jesus, number one. I want you to join us in praying about our church's best days because I believe our church's best days are ahead of us. And because of that, we want to lay down the proper groundwork so that we can maximize the opportunity God has given us. And then I want you to know that God has brought us to a place of peace, a place of harmony, a place of alignment. And every time God's people are brought to that place in the Old Testament or New, they move forward. It's the time to move forward. It's the time to look to the future. And that's where we are. So I'm going to ask you to join us in prayer about all those things. I'll be bringing you updates every week, uh, including the fact that we're going to be asking you to enter into a 21-day period of prayer with us beginning in June 2nd through June 23rd. 21 days, we're just focusing on prayer and asking God to do all that God is going to do, whatever that is in the days ahead. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. Uh, I want you to join me in that. So keep that red card, take it home, and make it a part of what you do, okay? So if you have your Bibles and you got them open to John 1, say amen. Amen. All right, let's stand together. Beginning in John 1, verse 1, the title of the message today is, Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Now, as we look at that phrase, I want you to know that what we're going to do is talk about what John, uh, the disciple of Jesus, said about Jesus, in the book of John, we're also going to look at the claims that Jesus himself made, and as we have it in the book of John. So let's begin in John chapter 1 and verse 1. The spiritual genealogy of Jesus. Now, keep in mind that Matthew and Luke talk about the physical genealogy of Jesus. That is, who was his mother? Who were those in 
uh, that were numbered among his ancestors. And where did Jesus come from, essentially? John takes a very different approach. John is not asking about Mary or Joseph or any of those in the line of Jesus. He's saying, where did Jesus come from, spiritually speaking? When did he begin? Where did he come from? If someone would ask you that question, would you be able to answer that question beyond just Jesus was born of a virgin and laid in a manger and we celebrate that at Christmas? What would you say to them if they said, no, no, where did he really come from? If he's more than just a man, where did he come from? So John answers that question in verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Somebody say amen. We're already at the amen point here. He was in the beginning with God. I'm moving very slowly through this. You don't scan this passage. You don't skip this passage. You don't look at this passage lightly. He was, think about that. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now, let's jump down to verse 14, where we find the identity of the Word. Who is this person? Who is this one that John calls the Word? Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. We saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, as we read through these verses very slowly and carefully, as we dig into them and unpack what they actually say, I ask that you help us today to come to an understanding of who Jesus is. I ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated if you would. This is a different kind of message series because it's really a different goal, different aim. I want you to know who Jesus is, where he came from. I want you to know all that you can about Jesus, not only for your personal understanding, but because you live among people who have all kinds of perspectives about Jesus. And most of them are nice. He's a teacher. He's a prophet. He's an evolved spirit being. But none of them seem to understand what the Bible says about Jesus. And yet we must. So John writes about Jesus, and, and you, you love John. John is an incredible, incredible disciple of Jesus. Most of you know that John was one of the first disciples Jesus called. You also probably know that he was in the inner circle of of Jesus. Jesus often took aside James and John and Peter for further instructions. They were close to Jesus in the garden at Gethsemane. John actually calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we know Jesus loved all those disciples, but John was in a, in a close connection with Jesus. It was John that Jesus looked to as Jesus was on the cross and said, behold your mother, referring to Mary who had given birth to Jesus. And behold your son, he said to Mary, pointing to John. So it was John that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother to as he hung on the cross. John also lived the longest. He was exiled uh, on the island of Patmos, and there he wrote the book of Revelation. And his gospel is the last gospel that we have. John is addressing some of the controversies that took place in those number of decades since Jesus has been crucified and risen again. You would have liked John, the apostle, you would have really liked him. John in his later years, 80-something, 90-something years of age, would still go 
to the places where he taught and where people worshiped. And he would teach and he would teach repetitively. He would say the same thing over and over. And often John got the reputation of, of saying this over and over. Little children love one another. Little children love one another. And some of his disciples would get a little frustrated with that and say, why, why do you just say that over and over again? Why do you keep repeating that? And John would answer, why? Because Jesus told us this and if you will do this, all else will go well. Just love one another. Just love one another. You'd like John. And in the book of John, we have John recording Jesus' key statement and key question. And the key statement is this. John records Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father through me, but through me. Now, what a statement. Some say that's an exclusive statement. Some say that's why the exclusivity of Christianity rules out other people. But if you think about this, it says, no one comes to the Father but through me. But later on, Jesus said, anyone can come to the Father through me. And yet it's a declarative statement that sets Jesus higher than any one other that we should worship. But John's key question from Jesus is found in Matthew chapter 16, uh, where actually he, Matthew records this question that Jesus asked Peter. And here's the question that I bring to you today because it's so important in light of what we're saying today. And the key question was, but who do you say that I am? Because it doesn't matter what one group of people says. It doesn't matter what another individual says. What do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Jesus asked that in the context of a conversation with Peter. And if you remember this, Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus answered, Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now catch that. He said, you didn't learn this on your own. You didn't reason this out. You didn't think about this logically and arrive at that conclusion. The Father in heaven revealed something to you that is essential to you being blessed, to you having this amazing life I'm calling you to. It must be spiritually revealed. And the bottom line of my message today is, if you have not had the identity of Jesus spiritually revealed to you, it will happen today in a supernatural, powerful way. You need to leave today knowing exactly who Jesus Christ really is. The authenticity of the religious practices of the world depends on a person's understanding of who Jesus is. Your standing when it comes to eternal life, your eternal security, your future. Your quality of life right now depends on your understanding of who Jesus is. So who is he? And in answering John's question of spiritual genealogy, where did he come from? So go back to John chapter 1, verse 1 with me. I'll read these verses again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Those two simple verses that I don't want you to skim over, that I don't want you to quickly glide over, I want you to dwell there for just a few moments because these verses say something powerful to us. And identifying what they say about Jesus, here are some conclusions that we make about Jesus. First of all, these verses tell us that Jesus is coexistent with God. Now, as soon as I say that point, you're going to think, okay, now we're going to get into some sort of a theological message. But it's important for you to understand the fact that Jesus is coexistent with God for you to even understand who Jesus is. Jesus is coexistent with God. Now, let that sink in for just a moment. In the beginning, the Bible says, was the Word. 
It's interesting that John chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 are very similar in how they're worded. Remember Genesis chapter 1? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now we have here, in the beginning was the Word. So both John and the author of Genesis are speaking of an important moment in human history at the beginning. And in the beginning, the Bible says, was the Word. Basically, this verse tells us that God and Jesus the Son were pre-existent to all that is created and co-existent with each other. Before heaven and earth was, Jesus was. The word was is the imperfect of me in the Greek. It means to be or it means I am. Before the earth was, Jesus could say, I am. I have been, I will be, I was there, I will always be there. Before the elements to form the earth existed, before the angels, before anything else, he was, the Bible says. That means Jesus was not created. It means he was not formed. It means he never had a beginning. It means he was coexistent with God in the beginning. Therefore, any creation account must involve Jesus because he was there. And any talk about eternity must involve Jesus because he will be there. Everything we talk about, pre-earth, post-earth, pre-heaven, post-heaven, has to do with Jesus. He has no beginning. He has no end. When all is said and done, Jesus still is. Man, that's an amazing statement about a person. That's an amazing, amazing moment where you realize Jesus cannot simply be a man. He can't simply be a religious leader. Even a loving one, even a benevolent one. He's got to be more than that because of John's identifying him in this way. And Jesus later on, as I'll show you, identifies the same way. If that's true, if Jesus is coexistent with God, it means that you must view your world through him. From the beginning of the world to the end of the world, the perspective you embrace must be the perspective that Jesus embraces because he was here before it was and he'll be here after it's over. And anything that we see in the time frame that we're on, this timeline in life, is just, it's just limited. It's just not able to see the whole picture. But Jesus sees the whole picture because he is coexisting with God. What amazing thoughts. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is co-existent with God. Secondly, this text tells us that Jesus is co-eternal with God. You say, come on, pastor, that's just another way to say the same thing. And yet it's not. Because John goes on and says, and the word was with God. And again, the wording is unique and specific and purposeful. You see, the word was with God. The word with is a word in the Greek that means face to face. Pros is the Greek. And so in this verse, John is saying that Jesus is at God's side, facing God in eternity past and will be in eternity future. It says that Jesus is existing with God, acting with God, living with God, moving with God. It means that everything that God does, Jesus is in on. And everything Jesus does, God is in on. And later on, we'll learn that everything that they do, the Holy Spirit is in on. And so we have God expressing himself face-to-face -face with one person to the other inside of the Godhead, which we'll talk about in just a few moments. But here's what it means for you and I. It means that if you will observe the movements of Jesus, and if you'll watch the words and listen to the words of Jesus, if you'll, if you'll discern the heart of Jesus, you will have seen the heart of God. 
And if you see the words of Jesus, those are the words of God. And when you see the actions of Jesus, those are the actions of God. Jesus reveals God. Jesus explains God. Jesus helps us understand and know God like no one else can. That's why Jesus is not a mere man and why we cannot view him as a mere man. Recently, I made a statement to someone I was talking to about Jesus, about God, and here are the statements, three statements in all I made to them in an attempt to help them understand how important it was to look at Jesus. I said, there is a God, you can know him, and he will change your life. There is a God, you can know him, and he will change your life. It's not a matter of being disoriented with religion or confused by different people's approaches to God, different people's statements about how to get to God, how to be right with God, how to have eternal life. No, there is a God. You can know him, and this will change your life. And he comes through Jesus. So they were in the beginning together. The Word was with God. And in the same way, his coexistence helped me to view my world through Jesus then his co-eternity has me to view wisdom through him. Now you think about this. If God, was in, if God was in the existence before the beginning and Jesus was there as well, then everything about the design of the earth, everything about the creation of man and woman, everything about the first marriage, the purpose he gives to individuals, all of those need to be viewed through the eyes of the one who is here at creation. And here we are in the 21st century saying, oh, I have a different view of that. I've got another opinion about how the world ought to operate. I've got unique new insight about how marriage works or how gender works or how men and women are to relate to each other. Wait a minute, let's go back to the one who was in the beginning with God before the beginning was, who will be here at the end of all time. Let's look at what he says instead of what everybody else says. You see, if Jesus is co-eternal with God, you need to view your wisdom through him. John 1.1 also talks to us about the fact that Jesus is co-equal with God. Co-equal. So we've looked at co-existent, co-eternal, co-equal. Look at what it says in the last part of verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then that last line, and the Word was God. John concludes that Jesus is of the very nature and character of God the Father, but he's not the same person as God the Father. Three persons, one God. They are distinct, yet equally one. That seems mystical. It seems otherworldly. It seems unlike anything else because God is unique, because God is infinite, because God is beyond us. And when we interact with each other, we see each other as a limited, single-dimensional individual. But when we look at God, he is not single-dimensional. He is unique from all, all of us. We are not God, and he is. And for us to relate to him, we relate to him the way he has revealed himself to us as one God in three persons. That's why theologians have Develop the word Godhead, and that word Godhead helps us to see the Father and the Son as God, as well as the Holy Spirit as God. These three are one. Amen. Some time ago, I saw the picture that helped me understand this, and the picture was of a triangle. And in the middle of the triangle was a large label, God. And at the top of the triangle, the word Father at the far left of the triangle, the word Jesus. And the far right of the triangle lower, it was the Holy Spirit. God is the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not God. But they are all God. They are all God. Three in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are together God. I thought, well, we try to explain that. We try to draw conclusions from the text that we have. It really brings us to the point of saying, I'm not sure I quite have that. So you're saying he's supernatural. Yes. You're saying he's beyond humanity. Yes. You're saying he, he is not just a single dimensional individual. Yes. Yes. And yes. Well, that means that he must be superhuman. Oh, yeah. Beyond that. That must that means he must have more power than anyone. Oh, absolutely, more power than anyone could ever have. He's God. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. These three are one. And that's the revelation we have in the book of John. You say, well, wait a minute, what about Jesus? What did Jesus say about himself? And of course, John won't have an answer to that because when we walk through the Gospel of John, Jesus over and over made some amazing statements. For example, in John chapter 8, and verse 56 through 59, he's interacting with some Pharisees, some religious leaders, and he said the statement. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And of course, the Jews were angry at that. So they said, you're not yet 50 years old, and yet you've seen Abraham? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What a statement. And so what do they do in response? The Bible says, therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. John chapter 10, verses 30 through 33, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. That can only happen under the definitions that we've just given you. I and the Father are one. And then the Bible says the Jews picked up stones to stone him, and Jesus answered and said, I show you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews said, we're not stoning you for any good work you've done, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man, which is what they saw Jesus as, you being a man, make yourselves out to be God. And with that one, they were right. Jesus revealed himself as being God, and they sought to stone him. John 10, verse 37, Jesus said, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe, believe the works, so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Man, that's an amazing statement for Jesus to make. John 12, 44, Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but him who sent me. And then he said, He who sees me sees the one who sent me. Amen. All these statements Jesus is making in the book of John demonstrate that he is co-eternal, co-existent, co-equal with the Father. One more, John 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, Philip, and yet you have not come to know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Wow. So not only has John made these amazing statements in John chapter 1, but Jesus makes these incredible, amazing statements to Pharisees, to scribes, to followers of Christ as well, to everyone clearly demonstrating who he was. A number of years ago, a book came out defending the deity of Jesus and responding to people who doubted that Jesus was more than a man. And at the conclusion of the book, a very uh, clear line eventually became famous. 
And uh, as I look back at it, it seems a little bit, maybe a little corny, but it's very, very, very true. And that is when Jesus makes the claims he makes, when the Bible makes the claims it makes about Jesus, you have to make your mind up. You have to decide Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. And that's the decision we have to make. He's either lying, he was either, he was either a liar or deceived in his mind, or he's actually Lord and Savior of all. Now, I have to tell you, when I'm reading this text and I'm studying John chapter 1, I'm getting a little excited late at night. I'm kind of rocking my chair really fast back and forth, and I'm thinking of all the words that come to my mind, and I actually listed some of these words, and here's what these words are. To understand that this is who Jesus is, is amazing, astonishing, incredible, fascinating, marvelous, stunning, surprising, wonderful, supernatural, indescribable, immense, awesome, breathtaking, magnificent, wonderfully impressive, overwhelming. It drives me to my knees. It makes me lift my hand. It moves me to surrender my life because he's worthy of my worship if that's who he is. And about that time, I ran out of words and started waking people in my house up. <laughs> and if that's who he is, not only do you view the world through that lens and wisdom through that lens, but you view worship through that lens. And let me tell you this. The only one you in your life should give your worship to, your devotion to, your surrender to, it's got to be more than a man. He's got to be more than a religious leader. He's got to be more than an esteemed figure of some cultural period. He's got to be God in the flesh or he does not deserve your worship. He does not deserve your surrender. He does not deserve your life. Have you ever wondered why people who follow Christ in tough places and tough times, they follow him in times of persecution. They follow him in times of suffering, human suffering, physical suffering, financial suffering, incredible suffering. They follow him even when upon the threat of death, they do not recant their followership of Jesus. They do not recant their worship of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why they do that? They don't do it because Jesus blesses them with just good answers to good prayers. They don't do it because they've been blessed with prosperity or good health or just even a better way of life. They do that because he's the only one worthy of giving your life to. That's why he does it. That's why you should give your life to Jesus because that's who he is. He's the only one worthy of adoration, worthy of praise, worthy of surrender. Why would I live life my way when I can live life his way? And he is God, eternal God in existence, God in equality. It's amazing. So John has this revelation of us. And here we are. As people who follow Jesus in a world filled with people who have a very different view of Jesus. I've always felt like the best way for you to discern the authenticity of another way of thinking is to know the real thing first. So we start with the scripture and the claims of John, the claims of Jesus. Now let's look at the claims of others about Jesus. There's a group of people called the Jehovah's Witnesses who were often seen as a Christian type cult, actually very legalistic in many of the things that they do. But when it comes down to their identity of Jesus, the Jehovah's Witnesses say this, the Archangel Michael is Jesus Christ. So the evidence indicates that the Son of God, Jesus, was known as Michael before he came to earth. They believe that Jesus was created by Jehovah God 
But he was the first created being, but still nonetheless a created being and on par with Michael the angel. There's a group of people called the Mormons, another Christian type cult. And here's what the Mormons say about God and Jesus. First they say, God the Father is an exalted man. He is not pre-existent. He is not pre-eternal. He is not uh, he is not God of all eternity. He's simply an exalted man living on another planet. Jesus, angels, and human beings were all the literal offspring of our heavenly Father who has a body and mother, that would be Virgin Mary, who also has a body, and that physical union created Jesus. And the ultimate goal of the Christian life is to become exalted to Godhood ourselves. According to Mormons, if you live the life long enough, you too will be exalted to Godhead and may get your own planet. That's an unusual idea, isn't it? I'm not sure I want a planet, if it's anything like this one. I'm not sure I want to worship a God who's nothing but an exalted man, who never created one thing, who doesn't have eternity. He's simply an exalted man. Muslims are the second most common religion in the world. Uh, 2.4 billion Christians and 1.7 billion Muslims in the world. You may know about Islam that they have a founder whose name was Muhammad. He was born in the Arabian city of Mecca around 570 AD. He was orphaned at six, raised by a grandfather, and then the uncle after his grandfather died. At 40, he claimed to be visited by the angel Gabriel in a cave called Hira. Three years later, he began preaching revelations that later on became the Koran. Did you know that Jesus is mentioned in the Koran more than Muhammad is? And yet the Bible says, and I'm sorry, not the Bible, but the Koran says that Muhammad is only a messenger. Many were the messengers that passed away before him, and Muhammad is simply a messenger. An interesting quote from the book of Koran. And concerning Jesus, though the Quran speaks highly of Christ and presents miraculous aspects of his life, it categorically denies two of the most central teachings of the New Testament, the deity or the godhood of Jesus and his crucifixion. They believe that an imposter died on the cross so that Jesus wouldn't have to, and that when Jesus was later seen, it was because he never died in the first place. So when you look at the different perspectives of Jesus in light of what the Bible says about Jesus, you really have an important decision to make. And that important decision follows this question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The confusion that happens in world religions today happens because of a failure to accept God's personal revelation of himself through Jesus. If you go back to John 1.18, it says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, referring to Jesus, he has revealed him. Here's what my prayer would be today. My prayer would be that you'd make a decision. If Jesus is just an angel or an exalted man or a deceptive teacher or even a highly evolved spiritual being, then you're on your own when it comes to being right with God. But if Jesus is coexistent, co-eternal, co-equal with God, he is your only way, your only life, the only truth you'll ever need. Who do you say that he is? You know why this is such an important question? Because this question frames your eternity. It frames your worship. It frames your wisdom. It frames how you view the world. 
It frames your purpose in life. It frames everything. Who do you say he is? I want you to bow your head for a moment. I want you to think about the question. Our counselors are coming forward. And they're going to stand and be available to you in just a moment. Now, this is an invitation for you to make a decision of your mind and heart. And let me just tell you, it doesn't happen just because it clicks and makes sense to you. It doesn't happen because you logically figure it out. But it happens because the Holy Spirit of God, God the Father, reveals to you that this is who Jesus is. In the same way that Jesus said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father that's in heaven. That's what I want to happen to you today. And if you're following Jesus just because he's a great moral teacher or a great religious leader or just because he rose from the dead, but you don't realize and you don't embrace who he is fully, that he may have your mind but not your heart. But he will have your heart if you know him to be God. And he's revealed himself to you and demonstrated his love for you. And that's what I'm asking you to respond to today. I want you to stand with me. Catholics are coming forward and standing now. We're going to sing together. Many in this room will just use this time as a time of worship and praise, and you ought to because Jesus is worthy of our praise. But others of you would use this time as a time of decision-making. And I want you to walk forward, and I want you to take the hand, take time to converse with someone here at the front. And we want to help you know Jesus as God revealed him to be. Blessings.